Welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast, an audio experience where we don't just talk about it, we live it. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast with Matt Teifke and my co-host, Andrew Roberts. We had an uh, amazing podcast episode with a guy named Sean Harden, and he kind of went through um, his whole career. He has you know, probably five or six different jobs and bounced around and was in the watch business and ended up getting into real estate. So I think it was pretty fascinating and a, a pretty fun journey to uh, be a part of. Yeah, and fun fact, we'll learn about this, but he was the realtor that sold me my house, first primary residence, which was very cool. So that was kind of our how we got introduced to, to Sean. And later in the episode, we get to learn pretty amazing part of his story um, in his childhood. It kind of formed him into the man he is today and how he really views business and how he views his life. So it was amazing to hear his story. Yeah, the guy should, shouldn't have been alive according to the doctors. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm excited uh, for the listeners to, to really get to dive into Sean's story and to, to hear it. Thanks for listening. It's Friday, feeling good. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Today, we're really excited. We have the opportunity to interview a uh, great guy in the real estate industry here in Austin, in the Round Rock area, Mr. Sean Harden. Hey, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Sean, we're excited to have you on the podcast. Obviously, um, you know, I had the experience of, of purchasing my home with you and had a great experience. And uh, we've seen you know, the success that you've had ever since then and been following you with your online presence and really enjoying that. And so today, having you on the podcast, we just really wanted to dive into your story and kind of get to know you better. So if you wouldn't mind telling us and the listeners a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Um, I was born and raised in uh, Dallas, Texas. All right. Yeah. So so Texan by birth and, uh, and proud of it, right? So, yeah, uh, yeah. Got to be. So anyway, uh, but I uh, went to Texas Tech to college. Uh, out in out in Lubbock, yeah, and um, had some good good games uh, with Texas A and M, Matt. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good good thing going there. But uh, met my wife at Texas Tech, and and out of college, um, I was accepted into Walmart's uh, management training program, and this was when Sam Walton was still alive, and so it was pretty intense uh, training and. You know, looking back on it, it was like, man, how did I, how did I do it? Because we were putting in 70, 80 hour, you know, work weeks, um, you know, in the stores and, and, but what I learned, you know, from a customer service standpoint was just incredible and, right. and has served me, you know, throughout my career and in anything I've done and, and now, especially in real estate just how to put your customers first, you know, sure. and, and put yourself really in, in their shoes, um, you know, in, in any transaction. So I like to say, you know, not, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but, you know, if somebody's buying a house, I mean, I treat it just like I'm buying it for myself or if they're selling their house, you know, I treat it like I'm selling my house and, and try to approach it from that mindset, you know, again, putting myself in my client's shoes if that makes any sense. Yeah, but, for um, sure. But anyway, kind of back to my story. We, my wife and I, we, we got married actually our senior year in college. 
And uh, so as soon as we uh, graduated and set off on that career path, I think we moved like nine times in the first 10 years of marriage. Oh, wow. Kind of all over Texas. Our, our one foray outside of Texas was we lived in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, um, during the 1996 Olympics. Right. Uh, so that was kind of a, a cool year for me sports-wise Sure. to get to do that. We like to say that, that God blessed us with our first child early on. Mm-hmm. So we, we really never got used to that dual income lifestyle, so to speak. You okay, know? yeah. But anyway, I, had, I really stayed in kind of that retail path. I went to after I left Walmart, I went to work for the Army and Air Force Exchange Service, which um, what they do is they run the retail stores on military bases throughout the world. So they run everything from liquor stores to flower shops to gas stations, and then they have what I call just kind of a mini Walmart-type store sure. on every military base. And and so from that, I had moved out of the retail management side into the purchasing side okay. with them. And their headquarters is back in Dallas, Texas. So that took us back home. In that, I was uh, a buyer for diamonds and gemstones and gold. And then ultimately went into watches, wristwatches, and became the watch buyer. So I was buying watches that were sold in, in all the military retail stores across the world, right? Ended up leaving there to go to work for a watch distributor that was part of Seiko Watches, if you've ever heard of Seiko. Yeah. And it was a family-owned distributorship right here in Austin, Texas. And so my wife and I moved here in 1999 with our two young boys in tow. Man, we just kind of fell in love with Round Rock, Texas and said, hey, this is a great place to raise our kids and just got plugged in there and uh, been here ever since. Since we've been here, is obviously we've seen tremendous growth sure. to Round Rock. Yeah. My wife uh, went back to school, got her teaching certificate, and teaches fifth grade awesome. in Round Rock. Is she at uh, Deepwood Elementary by chance? No, no, oh, not, but, but not far from there. She's <laughs> okay. at Fern Bluff Elementary. Oh, cool. Um, we have a lot of friends that went to Fern Bluff. So absolutely. Great school. Yeah, yeah. So um, so kind of cool. And as we, we mentioned, I think earlier, both my boys ended up graduating from Round Rock High School, as right. you two guys did. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So fellow dragons, right? Yeah. <laughs> kind of interesting story. When I, when I got here to Round Rock to work for this watch company, the owner and president of the company called me in and he said, hey, Sean, he said, listen, either we're going to close the doors to this company, you know, we're trying to sell it, get absorbed by another company. I totally understand if you want to turn turn back around and go back to Dallas and not take this job and not move here. And I was like, wow, you know, <laughs> I've already committed, you know, left my job in Dallas, committed to come here. And so I'm here. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Kind of nerve-wracking time, but I I literally lived in a hotel here for about 6 months just going home on the weekends back to Dallas to see my wife and kids. Everything worked out, you mm-hmm. know. Uh ultimately um we were purchased by a really Seiko and Fossil Watches, which is based out of Richardson, Texas, outside oh. of Dallas, kind of went in a joint venture and bought us, absorbed us as a company. And so because I had come from the Army and Air Force doing purchasing, 
my background was really purchasing and so I was really managing our inventory trying to get it under control and um, the president of the company you know saw something in me sales wise that said hey I want to branch you out and get you into sales at that time Seiko was making Nike the sport brands watches oh really? long story short was is we went and flew out to Oregon to meet with Nike and pitched them on letting us run their their watch business right here out of Austin Texas That's cool. that really morphed into them taking over that company and making us Nike employees we ended up running Nike watches and sunglass sales right here out of Austin and I ended up managing really all of the independent business for the, for the, for the United States uh, for watches and sunglasses wow. and so you know I guess the moral in that story is is that you never know what's going to happen and, and um, I just try to be diligent and, and put my trust and faith in God and and, uh, and he took care of us ultimately sure um, but that was that was a really neat deal because it got me kind of into selling right full time to this and I was selling to the sporting goods world. So I was selling to of course like a Dick sporting goods or an academy sporting goods, but also independent stores like a, a bike store or a soccer store or mm-hmm. a golf shop, all of that. I guess at the height of all that I had 35 some odd independent sales reps across the United States you know, underneath me, sell, you know, helping me sell okay. across the U.S. And um, so that was a really, you know, huge undertaking, uh, great learning experience. And I ultimately was hired by, recruited by and hired by Under Armour, another sports brand, because they thought they wanted to get into the watch business. And so... So they, t- they, they stole you away from they Nike. They stole me away from Nike. All right. So I went and launched, I had to really build from scratch a sales team, product, marketing, back-end support, you name it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we did it all just to try to build that business. We got into it and we really made three product launches to market and Under Armour just decided, hey, you know, we're not making the margins that we thought we would in this business and, and we would rather f- focus our dollars elsewhere. So they just as quick as they got into watches, got out. So at that point, you know, really following, you know, I just kind of had this entrepreneurial spirit. I was always trying to do a company on the side on my own. And uh, so I decided to just really start out and work as a 1099 independent sales agent, if you will, under my own company. Oh. So we ended up getting really hired by Movado watches. If you've ever heard of Movado, it's Mm -hmm. a luxury brand uh, based out of New York. Mm -hmm. They also have five or six licensed brands that they do, um, such as Lacoste or Juicy Couture or Tommy Hilfiger or Ferrari watches. Sure. So I was really selling all of their independent brands to independent accounts across the country. And what they would do was come in and have me say, hey, Sean, we want you to go develop the Florida up to the Carolinas market. So that, so I started out doing that. And then they moved me to the West Coast and said, hey, we want you to kind of develop this market from San Diego up to Pasadena. And then it was like, you know, hey, we want you to come back and, and develop Texas and the 
the Colorado and kind of the Midwest mm-hmm. part. And so what they would do was build it, I'd build it big enough and then they would want to really take it in-house, so to speak. Sure. During this time, are you, your family still in Round Rock and so are you so traveling we, quite Yeah, a bit? so we stayed in Round Rock and I was just traveling full time, you okay. know, so pretty much leaving Monday mornings gone, sure. coming back on Friday and tried to strategically do that around my kids' sports schedule sure. and activities and, yeah. and and all of that. But that really, you know, kind of stoked I guess my entrepreneurial fire, so to speak, and sure. through that I had um, really because I was selling to sporting goods. I had uh, met some guys that had created and, and patented a, a product called a sports spat, which is a nylon outer sock that you pull on over your cleats. And yeah. the theory was is to keep the crumb rubber from the artificial fields out of your shoes and socks, right? So they had named this the debris inhibitor sports pad. They had created it, but didn't know how to sell it. So I said, listen, guys, I can sell this for you. Uh-huh. I do sales, love sales. So mind you, this is going on while I'm selling watches, right? Yeah. So I started kind of coinciding trips to sell watches with also going to visit the sporting goods stores. I had immediately um, gone to some of the sock manufacturers that I had worked with that were doing Nike socks or Under Armour socks and said, hey, why don't you make this for us and ultimately license it from us and just pay us a royalty off of what you sell. Right. And so that's what we ended up doing was I had, and guys, I'm skipping a lot here, but the yeah, evolution okay. the evolution of all this was that these guys that created this, this sports bat had come to me and said, oh my gosh, Sean, we're just blown away with what you're doing and where you're taking us. So we want to make you an equal partner and give you ownership in this company. And so we kind of uh, really dissolved the company that they had and formed our own called Southern Sport is the name of it. Again, carried out that license with uh, a company <clears throat> Have you ever heard of gold toe dress socks? Yes. Yeah. 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 Gold toe Moretz was uh, making Under Armour socks, sports socks at the time. And so they agreed to make our sports bats and to sell it for us. Okay. Which was cool because, you know, we didn't have to go out and sell it anymore. We could just draw the royalty, and, but we kept the rights to sell it online, which ultimately was fortuitous because we. You know, no one really saw Amazon coming yet, Mm -hmm. but we kept the right to do that. So ultimately that's paid off dividends for us because, you know, we weren't paying a royalty on that. We're selling direct to somebody like Amazon and selling our product. But uh, anyway, so so really the evolution of that was um, Golto Moretz put us in every major sporting goods account across the U.S., we had uh, kind of outgrew each other, really, and so we took it back, and I kind of spearheaded the charge to handle sales, and I, w- I was really selling it myself again to to all the key accounts, and had met some guys again along the way that a sock manufacturer uh, called Twin City Knitting out of North Carolina, they used to make all of the NFL socks before Nike took that over and they and they still make all the um, baseball stirrups for Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. Of course, they, they have their own sports socks as well. The reason, so we moved everything to them and Gold Toe Moretz at the same time got bought by Gildan, which was a big t-shirt 
cotton manufacturer. So we moved over to Twin City Knitting, and and so here we sit today. They still manufacture and sell our sports bats to team dealers and sporting goods across the country. Okay. And so you say... Till today, so are you still involved today? Still involved. Oh, still, wow. still doing it. Uh, and we kept the right to sell online. Okay. So doing all the e-commerce and then and then also to sell internationally. Wow. Because kind of the cool thing is, is we had, as, as God works things out, we had um, met a lady, an attorney along the way that uh, was a very powerful attorney who not only helped us patent, but trademark you know, our product. So just learned a ton on all of that. Sure. But she, she got us patented really our product all over the world. Mm -hmm. So we own patents on, on our, on our spats. Not only do we own patents, but but we own design and utility patents on it. So that's really cool. I mean, our ultimate goal is, is to just keep growing it and somebody may just buy us out one day um, to do it. So we'll see where that takes us. And I say all that to say, you know, how does this, or what does this have to do with real estate, right? So I told you I had started my own business as an independent sales arm, selling watches and jewelry and eyewear, mm-hmm. okay? It was selling independent accounts, like independent mom and pop accounts, hotel boutique stores, uh, gift shops and casinos, for example. But I really saw that with the online business, like with Amazon coming on, was really causing the mom and pop business to shut their doors. And so I saw that kind of drying up. And I was working as a 1099 commission-based only sales guy. You know, these companies could easily cut me. And so I had a 10-year run basically with Movado doing that. Over the years, when we moved to Round Rock in 1999, I had our realtor at the time was the manager of Colwell Banker, and his name was Gary Wakefield. Mm-hmm. And Gary had always been after me. He and his wife became really good friends with my wife and I over the years, and he was say, always said, Sean, listen, you do sales. You know, you're obviously successful at it. Man, you, you should come do this business. You know, I'm a firm believer on God opens doors and closes doors. Mm-hmm. You know, I just try to be obedient and walk through it, and the timing was never right up until I realized, hey, I need to make a career change and get out of this business that sure. I'm in. So I called Gary and I said, hey, I, I'm going to do this. Start doing my training. So I'm still trying to sell watches and sunglasses and jewelry and, and do this training. Mm-hmm. I get several months into it and I'm like, listen, I know I'm going to have to really get after this and and get this done if I'm going to do it, mm-hmm. you know, because I can't flounder, right? And, uh, and finish it. So Finally, I just buckled down and got it done and got my license. And I and I called Gary and I said, hey, because he'd been coaching me through this, but never had said, hey, why don't you come work for me or anything? So I just called him up one day and I said, why don't you just hire me? Yeah. He, he laughed and he said, I thought you were never going to ask. You know, he goes, I wasn't going to push it on you, it, which is kind of interesting because Gary had, long story short, had left Colwell Banker and one of his former agents that he hired at Colwell Banker had started his own brokerage called Texas Open Door Realty, downtown mm-hmm. Round Rock. Invited Gary to come partner with him in that brokerage. And so Texas Open Door, in my mind, is just synonymous with this Round Rock and, and just the family atmosphere. You know, there's so much, uh, all the agents that are there just really have been there for a long time, been in, been in Round Rock for a long time, been agents for a long time. So 
I think I counted up, you know, there was 150 plus years of experience with all wow. agents combined, you know, in that office. And um, just, I think, first and foremost, that they had put God first in, in all that they do. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like, you know, the timing was right. And, uh, you know, I've seen this incredible growth in Central Texas and in Round Rock. And I thought, you know, how can I get involved in that? Right. And quite frankly, I didn't want to travel anymore. Okay. You know? Yeah. I spent all those years just traveling, you know, 25 plus years just traveling, you know, every week. And uh, and that grind was, was old. Sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I had, I knew or just felt like, hey, you know, coming into real estate, that if I could bring the knowledge and experience that I had gained with working for the Walmarts, the, the Seikos, the Movados, the Nikes, the Under Armors, if I could bring what they do from a, from a marketing standpoint and from a customer service standpoint into my business in real estate, I feel like I could be wildly successful at it. Sure. Yeah, that that's, that's very really cool. cool. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious about the switch when you made from a regular employee to going to 1099 work okay. because you said you had that entrepreneurial bug in you. So I would imagine having a family, you know, a wife and, and two boys, and um, maybe having that security of having you know that that regular job. Uh, what I guess maybe drove you and what was your mindset through that process of switching to, you know, that 1099 work? Yeah. So great question throughout that journey that I just took you on and that I've been on. I had was subject to a layoff. I had one of the stories I left out of that dialogue was, is that I, one of the watch companies that I went to work for doing the Under Armour watches had gone through a downsizing Mm -hmm. and this is before I became a 1099. Okay. So I was an employee of this watch company launching Under Armour watches. Under Armour decided they didn't want to do it anymore for a handful of months. You know, I was selling this watch company's other brands Mm -hmm. like Kenneth Cole, if you, you know, Kenneth Cole brand, right. They were ran into financial trouble. And so they did, they laid off all mid management for this watch company. And so I was left without a job. Man. And I was just devastated. So, you know, here I had two two boys at home, a wife that was a full-time mother. Mm-hmm. And she was really substitute teaching uh, at that time, had not gone back and gotten her license yet. So here we're with no income. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, no benefits, no income. And, you know, you talking about really hitting rock bottom, you know, you, you get there real quick. And it was a tough time yeah. in our lives. I think it was an instrumental time in my boys, my son's life. I didn't realize it at the time, but it really taught them because we as a family really had to scale back on everything, not eating out, not going out, Sure, you know, all the the frills of life that that we get used to and spoiled with, you know, we didn't have anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was looking for work you know, just trying to be diligent through that. And, you know, they always say that it's interesting, you know, it's easier to find a job when you have a job. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's kind of feast or famine. You go from no job offers, no interviews, to all of a sudden you have three or five. Right. You know, that's just kind of the way it seems to always work, at least in my my case, right, sure. my experience. But anyway, through that, I just decided, hey, you know, um, I'm going to control my own destiny. You know, I, I'm going to be 
I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to be just to work as a 1099 uh, employee. And at the same time, my wife had really felt like, you know, she wanted to go back and get her teaching certificate. Our boys were old enough that she could go back now and work full time. And, and so we knew if she could get on teaching that we would always have the benefits, health benefits, insurance through Mm -hmm. her. Right. Right. And so then I could really concentrate on building my business um, which was first doing the sales side, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the, in the watch jewelry, eyewear business, and then, and then now doing the watch deal. Right. So it, it's been, you know, I think it just for me going through that was just like, Hey, you know what? I, I've just got to take control and kind of control my own destiny, so to speak. But, but at the end of the day, you know, and not to get too religious on you, but I, you know, I don't really control my destiny. God does. Sure. And, um, Going back to my brokerage now, Texas Open Door Realty, I, I was just talking about it this week with them. You know, the really cool thing is at the end of the day, you know, in our carnal nature, we try to control everything that happens in, in our career and, you know, whether we get a contract or not. Mm-hmm. But, you know, ultimately, we're really not in control and we should have solace in the fact that God is in control. And, right. and if we, you know, we give our business to Him, Mm-hmm. He's going to bless that. And man, you know, if you step back and think about it, there's a lot of comfort in knowing that, right? Yeah, that absolutely. God, that God really is in control. That's kind of a the premise that I've tried to, you know, bring into the real estate business. Listen, I'm not try out to force Christianity or God down anybody's throat, but but I do know that, that there is that higher power, and I tie my success to that. That's awesome. I love that. And I know earlier you said... You wanted to control your destiny, but then you kind of went back and, and said that, you know, your destiny is in God's hands. And right. I think from both angles, you can look at it and see that what people may see as a, as a failure of getting laid off or a low point in, in life, so to speak, happened, and maybe it happened for a reason. Absolutely. Um, and maybe it happened at, you know, a time in life where you guys, obviously, you're here today, so you handled it. <clears throat> and you grew from that, right? And you chose to, from that situation, turn it into an advantage for yourself. Right. Um, right. And, and seize that opportunity, so to speak, which is awesome. Yeah, and I like to say, to kind of your point, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about God being in control and, and, and giving him what we do. At the same time, God gave us a brain also. Sure, that's right. And gave yeah. us the ability to, to get out there and to work hard and, and to do things. So, you know, I think it'd be a cop-out to say, hey, I'm just going to sit back and not do anything because yeah. God's in control. Right. That's not what I'm saying. Sure, yeah. Um, it, you know, because we, we do have to work hard and nothing is, is easy mm-hmm. or nothing is given to us. You know, y- you do have to be diligent about what you're doing and... One thing I didn't tell you, you asked me to tell you my story. Mm-hmm. I will tell you really what shaped my life was when I was 16 years old, I was in a car accident and I was not expected to live. Um, I was in a coma for 12 days. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, a lot of things, you know, could have happened to me uh, injury wise that didn't. Like I really had no uh, internal injuries. For example, I had a closed head injury. So I had a blood clot on my brain. And so that's why they thought I wouldn't live originally. When my parents got the phone call that their son had been in a car accident, they said, hey, you need to get to the hospital as soon as you can. Your son won't make it through the night. Okay. 
once I made it through the night, they said, you know, you need to understand that because of his closed head injury, he'll never function again in society. You know, he'll never go back to high school. He'll never make it. Uh, he'll never go to college, obviously. Um, he would be a ward of the state is basically what they call it, call it. Kind of what they say is a vegetable because of the brain injury. The interesting thing, not to get too deep into all of that, but, you know, my parents were were of faith and, and Christian people, and they wanted to trust in that, but they didn't want to be ignorant in their faith also. Sure. You know, they had to listen to what the medical world was saying. And at the time, they didn't know, the medical world didn't know a lot about closed head injuries. And and, um, and so I, I attribute just being, being young and God being involved. He healed me qu- quickly. I mm-hmm. healed quickly. Mm-hmm. And I was able to go back to school the next year and finish high school and obviously go on to college and now have a, a, a career and, and, and doing all these things. And, and I bring all that up just to say yeah. that, number one, you, you never judge a book by its cover. You never know what people have been through. Yeah. And two, you know, it just makes you realize that, you know, we're here for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a higher power. I'm not perfect. I make my mistakes, but just trying to figure it all out, yeah. you know, on a daily basis. Yeah. But that, but, but if you ask, you know, what's, what's kind of shaped my life, what's driven me to succeed is that is to, Hey, I still have to prove those doctors wrong after all, all these right. years. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I mean, thank you so much for sharing that with us. That was, yeah. I, we really appreciate that. Uh, I love what you said about how, you know, don't judge a book by its cover and you never know someone else's story and how that has a horrible, you know, accident in your life has really taught you these life lessons like empathy and, um, you know, caring for other people. I would credit your success to a lot of that. Of That shaped you as a human being and, and obviously, you know, you have a, a great heart and you care for other people and I feel like that those are all character traits that has led you to where you are today and the success that you've had through, you know, recovering from the accident to your, your success in business to now real estate. And so I love that. That's awesome. I think it, it's really special that you shared that. I mean, I, I don't know if I can speak for you, but we do these podcasts and every now and then there's like these moments and you're like, wow, this is, this is just cool. Cause like, yeah. it's something that this, this platform opens up and, you know, we sit here and hopefully we can provide value to our listeners, but we're also learning, right? And so right. It's, it's really cool to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So just thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Since I've been in, in this real estate business, I, I think, you know, there's a lot. And, and Matt, you and I talked about it when we did an interview, when you interviewed with me, yeah. is that, you know, there's a, there are thousands of agents, you know, in this business. Thousands of property managers, you know, in this business. You know, and I've never really been, I'd say, frightened or intimidated by that because I've always felt like, you know, if I could meet people that I felt like I could win or earn their business because I I feel like I could build a trust there, the challenge becomes getting your name out, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Just letting people know that you're in the business and and, and so you get that chance to meet. But it's, it's amazing to me just to realize and just to step back and see the the people that I've met and come across uh, in this business, you know, I really think a lot of, a lot of it is divine intervention in a sense because just where I hope where I've been able to to impact people's lives in a huge decision in their lives, they've also blessed and impacted my lives, mm-hmm. my life at the same time, you know, and that's pretty cool. I love how that 
some people in this business in real estate and then just in general kind of are always thinking you know what can I get from this deal or what can I get from this person or something like that and I love to hear you say that you know all these people that you've interacted with people you sold houses to they've benefited your life and how you you see it that way and at the end of the day I mean that's a success in itself you know uh, which I love yeah and Matt and I were talking about it too I think I'm in this not just to be kind of one and done or for instant gratification. I think it's, it, you know, I'm in it for to build relationships and lifelong relationships. And, you know, uh, I want to be able to call my client as a friend and, and likewise them me if they need anything. It doesn't have to be real estate related, you mm-hmm. know, uh, necessarily. So, you know, again, that's just kind of the attitude and approach that, I, that I've tried to take in this business. And... And ultimately, it's it's working out. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. You know, for this year, what's kind of your goals? Um, just on a business standpoint, just kind of curious, what do you do as far as uh, building your name? How do you sell yourself to get those calls coming in? Kind of interesting that you ask. I just sat down with Gary, one of my brokers, and really just had kind of a heart-to-heart as to putting goals on paper for 2019. And obviously, from a top line you know, what I want to do sales volume wise. And I kind of put down what I, what I felt like kind of some modest but aggressive goals to, hey, I wanted to achieve a 15% growth uh, rate in 2019. And going down from there, you know, we started, had to ask some tough questions like, you know, what do I see as my strengths? And what do I see as my weaknesses? with that, what I need to work on, what I need to get better at. So really having to, you know, that frank discussion of, hey, this is what I see in myself. What do you see as my as my broker? You know, what areas to improve on and, and things like that. And really just, um, I, I think for me, it's just kind of having, it, finding that discipline to have that, that plan, not only daily, but weekly, monthly of, okay, this is what, you know, I need to do to continue to grow my business. And, and Matt, you mentioned that social media. So going into 2019, social media is obviously a huge part of our society and, and, and certainly our community here in Central Texas. And so I've really tried to, to streamline what I'm doing on, from a social media standpoint and make sure that I'm telling a consistent message on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube channel, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to make sure that my message was consistent. So really I set out this year to, um, I just launched my uh, website. So seanharden.com, mm-hmm. which I think it turned out really good. I don't know if you had a chance to yeah, look yeah, at it. Yeah, we've checked it out. It's, it's clean. It's, it's simple. It's great. I really like it. And so what I'm trying to do with that is really drive everything back to my website and provide some you know, some, something tangible, some value to, to people, mm-hmm. uh, when they go to my website, be consistent with that message. You know, every, everything that, you know, if I go to all this training, everybody says, Hey, you know, videos are the thing to do being totally honest. I mean, that's not a natural thing for me to do videos, mm-hmm. but so I'm trying to force myself to be, to really just put a, a, a face behind the message that, that I'm doing, you mm-hmm. know, or that I'm giving out there. So hopefully that'll, that will start to pay off. To, I think going back to your question, Matt, about, you know, how do I continue to drive my name out there? 
-hmm. And obviously, as I build these clients that, you know, their referrals are huge, you know, that's such a lifeblood to everything that I'm doing. And so, and that, and that's always not an easy thing to ask for either, you know, but I, I try to remind all of my clients and friends, Hey, you know, this is how I make a living and I appreciate you sharing, uh, my name and, and what I'm trying to do out there. Mm-hmm. What's the long-term goal for you in real estate? How much longer do you want to work in real estate? And are you invested or have any plans to invest in um, some income-producing real estate? Yeah, I think, uh, well, first of all, I, you know, I plan on doing this is forever. I mean, as long as I, I really enjoy it. I, I, You know, it's easy to say, hey, I wish I would have done this years ago, but it wasn't the right opportunity, you know, and right time for me. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely love it. I mean, I love the people I meet. I, I, I love the interaction. And so I do wish I would have done it, you know, years ago from that standpoint. But I, and I see myself doing this forever. I mean, as long as I'm, I'm physically able and, you know, to do it. As far as uh, investing in, you know, in, in property and, and ultimately uh, getting into, you know, multi-units and in things where you can really drive income, like what you're doing, Matt, I, I think that's a goal for mm-hmm. sure. You yep. know, and it's just a matter of right opportunity, right time. Yeah. And it's, Austin's a tough market. It is. It's so it competitive. Is. It's, it's really tricky. So. Well, and I, yeah, we, we joke and laugh, say, you know, I wish I would have had the discretionary income in 1999 when I first moved here to buy up property then. Right. Cause then you could afford it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, or, you know, relatively speaking, sure. but, uh, compared to today's prices, you know, uh, but, but anyway, I, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think this is, a Austin central Texas has been kind of immune to what the national market's doing in terms of real estate. You know, we've always been kind of hot, so to speak here. I can't remember Matt, if we talked about this, but if you look at you know, over the last 10 years, interest rates, I mean, we still, our interest rates today are phenomenal compared to what they were, mm-hmm. but we were spoiled in the last year or two with interest rates in the 3% range, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, you know, but it's all kind of relative when you look at the big picture, right? That's, I'm glad you put it that way because we're younger, you know, and want to do this for the next 50, 60 years. And that's how I think of everything is long-term. And so a couple things is like, We've, we've had to get creative on certain types of loans that we're looking at doing where the interest rate might be six and a half. Historically, that's still low. And that's what I say is like, man, it's, this is a low rate, even if you're, if you're thinking 20, 30 years. I mean, they're just all low right now. And then as far as the values, like, I mean, I met a guy the other day who bought a property on Burnett Road uh, 60 years ago for $11,000. And wow. he's got offers for $2 million. Wow. And so I think about that right now. Even though we think that it's hot and might be top of the market, some of these you know three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar houses, are those going to be triple twenty years, thirty years from now? It's easy to say that, but to get there and withstand like the downturns and the leverage—that's that's the tricky part. Sure, sure, and I and two, you know, there's a huge opportunity in, in our market here for affordable housing. You don't know how it's going to be accomplished or, or, or carried out, but there is a huge opportunity for that. We, we need that, which is kind of interesting. I've done in the first couple of years of doing this, done a lot of lease deals and, you know, people lease for a reason. Either they're not ready to buy yet, they're not comfortable in buying, they're trying to raise their credit, they're trying to eliminate debt. 
you know, there's reasons for it, right? But you meet people that are working hard and they're trying to get on track financially and they just need an opportunity to put a roof over their head for them and their families. And, and you know, it makes it real uh, for you to realize, hey, I mean, you know, we don't have a lot or, you know, much affordable housing in this area mm-hmm. and there's a true opportunity for it. So the question becomes, you know, how can we impact that? You know, how can you make a, a difference in people's lives uh, there? Uh, so that that is something that's always top of mind for me and mm-hmm. just trying to, to see the long term there, Matt. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think you're right on. I've heard a lot of people talk about that. And yeah, I mean, shoot, you're, you're 100 percent right. Like we have some properties. It's crazy that we will lease out in like the Creedmoor area. Mm-hmm. And they're they're cheaper. Um, when we list those properties, it's by far the insane amount of calls that we get way above everything else. We get 30 calls in one day, wow. and it's because it's a little bit cheaper, and there's not a lot of those options out there. So we see that firsthand like that. Yeah, and, and you know, and not to get on a bandwagon or soapbox here, but um, you know, people want somebody and, and situations they can trust, mm-hmm. and you know, you sit down with somebody that that needs credit help, for example. They didn't know all the tools that are available to them. And, and, you know, when you tell somebody, hey, I've got lenders I work with, for example, that will work with you for free to raise your credit scores. And they're like, what? No one's ever told me that. Yeah. You know, no one's, I mean, I was told I had to pay, you know, a lot of money to, to, to get my credit fixed, for example. Right. It's just amazing how, again, going back to what we said earlier, when you establish that trust with people and, and you really tell them, hey, I want to help you succeed mm-hmm. and, and you mean it, yeah, man, people are like, wow, mm-hmm. I didn't know that existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's a little bit of a pet peeve, and, and we talk about this sometimes. It's like some of these really important life you know, lessons or just actions that you have to take – you never learn in high school, you know, mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. in college. Right. And it's like, wh- why don't they tell you these things? But, you know, there's a certain responsibility to go learn it yourself. I think those are extremely valuable that, you know, I wish I would have learned about credit and financing in, in high school but or even in college. But yeah. you don't. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and I listen, I, I don't mean to make little of this, but, you know, People are say, "Hey, I didn't realize that I had to pay my credit card balance each month, or that I had to pay it by the due date." Mm-hmm. And you mean really that it impacted my credit score right. that significantly? Right. And you know, we take that for granted if we know, you know, if we know it. But I'm just amazed to your point, Matt. I mean, how many people don't know those things? And I feel like again, that's what separates me in this business was just being compassionate and just really sitting back or stepping back and just being able to explain things to people that maybe they didn't know. Mm -hmm. And, hey, let's work through this together and see how I can help you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of of people don't have any idea that they can own a house when they can. Right. 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 Oh, wait, I could actually own this and my rent would be less on the mortgage, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, and, and traditionally to that point, people think, hey, you know, I have to put 20% down to buy a house. And that's not true. Right. I mean, and, and God, there's so many opportunities for things out there. And, you know, you don't have to be 
just ex-military anymore to take advantage of a lot of the opportunities. Right. Yeah. The house that I got was on a from you on a USDA loan. I right. had to put zero down. You just had to pay a little bit in closing costs. So. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So I, you know, and I and I think that's what you know people do appreciate. You know, when they meet companies like yours or 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 mine, mm-hmm. just to say, wow, I didn't. Nobody's ever stopped to explain that to me and tell me all these opportunities that are available to me. And, and, and I encourage people, you know, I say, listen, not every step of the way, I can introduce you to multiple lenders. Right. I can introduce you to multiple inspectors, mm-hmm. whatever it is, to find you the best deal for your money, right. the best value, people that you trust, you know, because there are opportunities. Yeah. And you just, gotta, you just have to be able to, to know that and to be able to sift through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and full circle, I think, you know, what makes you successful and what makes you your desire to to have that compassion for your clients, uh, for strangers, um, is, you know, the experiences that you've had through your life, particularly, you know, whenever uh, you were in that car accident and coming back from that is, right. you know, seeing the other person for who they are and having compassion for that person. Um, and I just wish, you know, more people could uh could have that you know absolutely i i think guys i i you know we're probably running out of time but i I know hey i watch what you're doing you you two young guys that are are built a a great business here um i I watch the following you know what you're doing on social media um you're doing a great job you know keep keep that bar high and keep striving and and i think you know if you maintain the integrity in your business you know, the honesty and the trust, the sky's the limit. That's awesome. Great takeaway. I love that. Sean, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We really appreciate you. For the listeners, um, how can they find out more about you? I mentioned my, my website. Uh, so you can go to seanharden.com, and that's spelled S-E-A-N-H-A-R-D-E-N.com. Uh, you can also find me as Sean Harden Realtor on Facebook and on my YouTube channel as well. So uh, pretty much most all social media, you can find me there. But in always, my phone number is 512-799-2725. All right. Love it. Cool. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, guys. Of course, yeah. We'll see you guys next week. 